Overcoming addiction, Rob Ekno's inspiring journey from homelessness to multi-nominated author. Discover Rob Ekno's remarkable transformation from addiction and homelessness to becoming a faith-based author with over 30 years of sobriety. Uncover his inspiring journey, the story behind his book, Cruising Towards Heaven, Navigating from Rough Seas to Miraculous Adventures, and some fun facts about his Alaskan adventures and personal transformation after giving up his hairpiece. Dive into this heartfelt talk filled with laughter, profound insights, and inspiration. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification bell. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Let me tell you a little bit about the guests that we have today. Rob Ekno, an award-winning broadcaster, faced a career decline due to drug and alcohol addiction, leading to homelessness. He began his sobriety journey in 1992, eventually relocating to Los Angeles, where he revived his career as a national TV host and actor. Despite a spiritual setback, Rob rediscovered his faith after meeting his future wife. He hosted a spiritually-based internet radio show and wrote a book about his experience. After his marriage ended, he spent several years in Alaska working as a cruise host. In 2018, he survived a severe fall on a cruise ship and has been recovering since. I'm so excited and pleased to welcome Rob Ekno. Welcome. Hi, April. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show. It's an honor to have you here. You have some really inspiring stories. We're about to go on a roller coaster ride here, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Up and down all over the place. <laughs> but it's going to be a really good ride. Yes, absolutely. So let's get started. Why don't you share a little bit of background so the audience gets to know you a little bit more? 
So let's go into the fact that I had this wonderful grandmother. And unfortunately, our family disease for a good portion of us is alcoholism. And my poor grandmother at 52 years old, she went from looking like Marilyn Monroe when she was in her earlier part of her life to just uh, unbelievable. She died with no liver whatsoever. They did an autopsy. She didn't even have a speck of liver left in her. So uh, you can only imagine the challenge that we had. Uh, my mom had four kids and um, all of us have had our challenges. Um, and then I had mine. I had a flourishing broadcasting career. I was a nationally syndicated sports show host out of Boston. And the next thing you know, I'm on a Greyhound bus going to live out of the uh, Greyhound bus station in Fort Lauderdale because I'd lost everything because I ended up becoming a really good drinker and a lousy cocaine addict. So I went to live on the streets of Fort Lauderdale and my young brother, David, saved my life, got me back up to Rhode Island, got me going. And for some reason, after four years sober, he decided that he could drink like a normal person again. And unfortunately, about eight months later, we buried him at 28 years old. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the the short and long of it is um, I was building stuff up and I tore things down. And now for the past uh, 31 years now, I recently celebrated 31 years of sobriety. Uh, it's been quite the ride. That is quite the ride for sure. And so, wow, I got so much out of that, Rob. And I would love to discuss a little bit more. First off, I, I really like that you brought up and, and very unfortunate, of course, but you described your grandmother as being this incredibly beautiful woman uh, inside and out prior to alcoholism and how that really changed and shifted and how she internal body parts were no longer existent because of the damage that had been done. Yes. And the reason I want to bring that up is because I think that, you know, although it's a superficial aspect, but it truly destroys the appearance of a human being because it's doing so much damage internally, which shows up externally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in uh, the book that you talked about, uh, Cruising Toward Heaven, in this book, there is a story of my grandmother and a picture of her. And if you uh, grab a copy, you'll be able to see that. But she seriously, April, looks like Marilyn Monroe with, with brown hair. She was so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And then when she passed, I just, uh, wow, I'm getting all teary-eyed thinking of my grandmother. Wow. <laughs> that uh, I, I don't think I've ever had that happen before. So uh, clearly, uh, my grandmother and I have a very spiritual connection without me even realizing we were connected on a much higher level. So uh, thanks uh, thanks for bringing me to tears in the first three minutes of the show. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, you, you're Rob, correct. You, the appearance you makes oh, a, go ahead. It does destroy you from the inside and out. And, and she literally yeah. looked like death warmed over by the time it was time for her to leave this earth. That's for sure. Yeah, you've had some incredible uh, pain throughout your course with your family in this. And it would make sense to me. You're you're talking about 30 years now um, sobriety, which is incredible, especially because you have since throughout. I mean, that's a long time period. Many things happen in life and yes. you've entered into some uh, extreme depression and all of those things, the roller coaster ride, and you didn't go back. 
And, you know, it's through these stories and through this experience and the pain experience through the death of it and, and not allowing yourself to go there because of that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I found out over the years, uh, whenever sharing stories, either hosting something or being a guest on a wonderful show like this one here, is that a lot of times I come here, my goal is to join you and helping us to heal someone else that's watching. And many times, as you probably know, in being the host, often we become the healed one ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They say oftentimes, Rob, and, and, and tell me if you agree or not, but the things that we concentrate on the most that we're most passionate about are the things that we need to work on the most ourselves. That's really mm. how our souls grow is by concentrating on those areas. You know, when, when we think about how we want to expand and we want to you know, self-develop more and more because of our experiences. That's what we want to shine to the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's weird. I, I've never, in writing the stories about my grandmother, I have pictures of her on the wall, and I have that beautiful picture of her uh, that my mom sent me so I could put in the book. Uh, I never had this reaction until you and I just started talking about it. And it's, I don't know whether I'm feeling like the pain that she felt through the last years of her life and suffering or my connection to her. But there was there was something there. I thought I was just going to just start bawling like crazy a minute ago. But you've you've healed me in some way already early in this show. So let's uh, hope that we can heal some others throughout the show. Oh, thank you. And yes, absolutely. That's the point. I truly believe that our loved ones are never gone. I, yes. I think that they're always with us. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I believe strongly, especially now that she's right here with you. And, oh you know, that is so powerful, right? Because it's, it's them sending the message out to the world as we are right now. Mm. Because they're right next to us and they're sharing the message. And so that, yes, it's very, very powerful. The stories need to be heard. That is my favorite part about doing the show. It's through the stories where we make the greatest impact. Because when we have stories of people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different experiences, it is going to land on the ears that really need to hear them to make a difference in their life where they can say, me too. And because me too. And we've experienced this together. I feel confident that I can move forward and make a difference in my life. Well, yes. And it's exactly what you just said. And it's like you do a podcast, right? You get an idea to do a podcast, clearly something in the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, put this idea in your thought to say, April, you have a talent and I need you to use it. And listen, you may touch one person in 20 years of doing a podcast that you really have this major and that's that's the best selling podcast because you made a difference in another human. And the same thing when I write these books, I don't know if anybody's going to read them. I just get told that I need to write them. And I do that. And you don't know who you're going to impact. But one thing we do know is that if we don't do the work, we'll never impact anybody. Right. Yeah. Including our, our own self-healing. Right? Yes. Like I still said. have tears so coming out of my eyes. Thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> this well, is, uh, it's good stuff. You know, you know this is good stuff. It, it is. And, and let's talk about that, Rob, because, you know, prior okay. to us, 
us going live here, you had mentioned that you're being guided into doing another talk show, into doing a podcast. And so let's talk about that because like you just said, I think that there is something there with the guidance. We live in such an incredible day and age to where we are able to share the stories and the the wisdom and the insight that we have and broadcast it out on a worldwide scale. It's an incredible time in history. And so when we continue, the more people that push out great information, healthy information, positive information, it truly does make a difference. And that's what I believe. So let's talk a little bit about that because I'm excited about it. Obviously, what will that look like for you? What is this new journey? How do you envision it? Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Well, it starts with the the writing of the book. So just so you know, and so your audience doesn't think that, oh, this guy's like he went to uh, some brilliant uh, uh, college or university and he's like a Shakespearean writer or something. No, I write in my voice. Right. And so I got a D in English in high school and then I proceeded to become a very good alcoholic and a lousy cocaine addict and a homeless guy. So who would ever think that a guy that got a D in English in high school ended up homeless would be told in his mind someday that he needed to write some books. But once I finally got sober, I started hearing all these thoughts in either in my head or I'd go somewhere, April, and I'd see something, a sign that would say, write your book. I mean, it'd be like so clear. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to write. I don't know where a comma goes, a period goes, a, you know, semicolon, dangling participles, whatever. And I just kept getting told, just write the words on a piece of paper. And, you know, it's funny. I I end up running into a very successful writer who writes a huge show uh, for uh, one of the big TV networks. And I saw him one day and I said, hey, man, can you can you help me? Give me the secret to writing, you know, a book. I I keep getting. And he said, here's the secret. I said, because I'm getting old and I've already lost my hair and and I don't have a lot of time to figure out writing and go back to school and all this. He said, here's the secret, Rob. You go down to the 99-cent store over there, Universal Studios. You take a dollar out, you put it on the counter, and you give it to them, and they'll give you a pad. And then you take another dollar out, and you put it on the counter, and they'll give you a pen. And then you walk out the door, and you start writing with that pen on the pad. And he said, eventually, you'll have a book. (laughs) And he said, then you'll read it. And there's the funny part, though. This is a true story. He He said, then you'll read it and go, wow, that sucks. And then you're like, what? And they go, but then you'll rewrite it 
and then you'll do it again. You go, ah, that still sucks, but it sucks less than the last one. Anyways, then you just keep rewriting it. And eventually you'll go, wow, hey, that's pretty darn good. And then you'll know that you're using your talents. And that's exactly how I, I wrote. And then mm. uh, so so people that are out there. So this is this is important, I think, to your point, is that many of us put so many limitations on stuff like I you're asking me like I'm a very faithful believer and I believe in, in God. He guides my life. But, you know, whether it's the universe, whatever you believe in, if it's telling you something, it's telling you something because it believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And it wants you to use all the goodness. April was just talking about adding positive to the world, right? And so it wants you to use all of this goodness, each of us. So there I am arguing. So uh, I'll tell this as quickly as possible, because this is very important to people that don't think they have the money, the time, whatever. So I, I write this book. I spent three and a half years writing it. Now, some people can write them in six months. My last book only took me six months because I'm getting better now at, at writing. But I wrote this book and I said, okay, God, I can't publish this book. I don't know where commas, periods, all this. God says, call your buddy, David. And I'm like, my buddy, David, why would I call him? He says, just call him. I call him. David was an international marketing director at one of the big Hollywood studios. I didn't know that he had just gotten laid off the day before. He says, Rob, why don't you come over to my house? Fast forward. He gave me four hours of free time every single week for a year and a half and helped mm -hmm. guide me with my writing and stuff because he knew how to write pretty good. Then I said, okay, Dave, we can't publish this because we need a copy editor. And uh, David said, yeah. And I said, listen, and you talked about that uh, leg injury that I had that, that almost killed me in 2018. I said, well, I don't have, you know, five, $6,000 to pay a copy editor. And literally... April, I'm standing outside. I lived over there, Universal Studios in Hollywood at the time. And, and I was uh, over there and I'm standing outside and my next door neighbor comes out and she's like, hey, how you doing? I said, hey, I'm good, but I'm kind of bummed out because I have this book that I spent three and a half years on and I can't publish it. She goes, why not? I says, well, I don't have a copy editor. And she goes, well, why don't you just give it to me? And I said, why would I do that? She goes, don't you know why I work out of my home? I said, no. She goes, I was a copy editor at a publishing house for 30 years. She goes, I'll be happy to bless you and, and copy edit your book for you for free. She says, mm. but I, I just need to do it after I do my regular work at five o'clock at night. I'll do it after that. So she edits it. That's how I got it edited. Then I call a life coach friend of mine in Northern California. I said, hey, if you like my book, would you write a, like a one or two line blurb for the back cover? I send it up to him. He calls me. He says, Rob, I got your manuscript. He said, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you this or not, but my wife and I are professional proofreaders. And so <laughs> while I'm reading your book to give you a, a, a blurb, we'll also proofread it for you. No charge. My blessing to you. And then I go, God, I need, um, uh, uh, I, I said, I need some, an author on the back cover to write something nice. He goes, call this guy, Paul, you know. And I said, but he's a, an acquaintance. He's not really a friend. And God says, you ask me who to call, then you argue with me. Call Paul. I said, but he's a multi-nominate. He's a multi-award winning author, travels the world. He's a Pulitzer-nominated author, all of this stuff. What do, you, what do you want to talk to me for? God said, well, you just call him. April, I call Paul, and he goes, Rob, how you doing? I said, Paul, you know, I know you're busy, but I was wondering if you could write like a, a, a line or two for my back cover if you like. Dude, I'm so honored that you called to ask me to do that for you. And that was my previous book to this one here that we're talking about today. 
But Paul wrote April, he wrote an eight line paragraph comparing my book to um, Conversations with God by Neil Donna mm -hmm. Walt and another book by by um, another best selling book. He compared my book to two best selling wow. books. So that's wow. on the back cover. And then and I share this because I'm, I'm hoping that I'm sure there's somebody watching us, April, as you know, by doing this that doesn't believe enough in themselves or is, has a whole bunch of excuses on why they're not doing their podcast, writing their book, right? Yeah. So then we get it published and it's beautiful and it, and it wins an award and I get all these great reviews and now it's actually the inspiration for a, a, a screenplay for a faith-based film that's been written and I've got all that's kinds incredible. of interest coming in on that. And so I'll just end on this. On that one, then uh, everybody says you should do an audio book, you know, as you just said about getting into... And I said, well, that's another five, $6,000. Lord, I'm out of work. I'm healing from this injury. He says, call your friend Rick. He's a Hollywood uh, sound engineer. He works over at the big studios. Let Ask him. I'm like, Lord, I, ca I can't ask this guy for a five, $6,000 favor. And he's like, just call Rick. So I call Rick. I, hey, Rick, how you doing? He goes, Rob, I saw your book. It's on Facebook and stuff. That's really cool. Congratulations. I said, yeah. I said, it, I, I'm happy about that. I said, but people keep telling me I got to do a, a, an audio book. April, next words out of his mouth. Dude, come over my freaking house tomorrow morning, nine o'clock. I got a studio right here. I'll set it all up for you. Just hit the start button and record it. Yeah. It'll take me a couple of months to, to tweak it and stuff, get the specs right, because I got a big project, a movie I'm working on. But I'll bless you with that. And that's how it all got done. And that's how my thing, that's how everything got started. Incredible. So my point is, 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 as you know, with the podcast, whatever, the guests will come if you start the podcast, right? The people will come to help you get your project yeah. out there if you start it. But it yeah. all starts with me and you taking the first step, right? Yeah. You know, this is, this is truly incredible. I love that you, uh, gosh, all of it, Rob. It, it reminds me so much of how we got started with the show and all of the synchronicities and all of the people that just were, they believed in it, even though there wasn't a lot to believe in. It was just something, this passion project. And, and we had so many people that wanted to be involved to just... And when we didn't have the finance to back it, and, and there's so much that goes into it, so much love, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, right? It's a fire hose to the face. But when we have other people that are able to jump in and and lift you along that process, it's incredible. And it, it feels so right. It feels like this is absolutely what needs to happen, what needs to be presented to the world because everybody's on board. And I also love that you brought up Neil Donald Walsh. We've had him on the show. He, I was so excited to have him because, gosh, he I think he's on his 44th book now that he's released is incredible. And so it kind of gave me chills that you brought him up because, you know, it's fascinating how everything is really interlinked. And, and I love your story, Rob. Thank you so much for sharing. You're correct that if you have this, this lack of belief, if it's supposed to be, it'll happen. It'll happen in whatever capacity, everything will come to you as it's needed in the right time. Yeah. Cause eventually you'll go crazy if you don't do it. Right. Because it's just going to eat away your soul to the point where it's like, okay, I got to go over to universal studios, 99 cent store, get that pad, get the pen and just write <laughs> the first word, Rob. And, and I will say this April, it's the same thing that happened to you. See, people believed in you. That's why they rallied around you to help you start your project. 
effect because you'd actually been putting greatness or goodness, greatness, all that stuff out into the world. And they saw you busting your butt to accomplish something to help mankind. And so the people rallied around you, right? And that's yeah. how your podcast got started. It doesn't start when you just go, oh, I got an idea. You know, it starts because I have an idea, but people have also seen you live your life in a positive manner, looking to be the best April that you can be on any given day. Yes, absolutely. I always say that, you know, the greatest change we can make is the one within us. And yeah. so leading by example is a big key. So let's start talking more about your journey. Rob, you have brought in so many incredible photos and we have a lot of them. I want to bring those in. Let's have you start talking about it. Now, you mentioned at the very beginning that you had a brother and he had also this disease of alcoholism and yes. which ended his life at a very young age. Very sad. And I am so sorry for your loss. But let's bring him in. We have a photo of him. And I want to share that with the audience and have you share that with the audience. Great. More tears. I, I, you might have seen my head turn because I actually have a picture of my brother in the boxing ring, uh, like literally an arm's length away from me here on the wall in my office. And I stare at him every day. And, uh, you know, you talked about how our living, our, 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 our ones that are, you know, up above watching us. Well, yeah. in, in the book is a story, because uh, everything I, I title is something around a cruise, because I ended up on that small cruise ship, as you mentioned. And I talk about uh, soaring without my first mate. And this handsome gentleman right here was wow. my first mate and he saved my life and got me into uh the recovery programs the 12-step programs and then he thought which is this disease of alcoholism is very we talk about it being cunning baffling and powerful and just when we think we might have it one it comes in and sneaks in and goes yeah let me show you who the boss is and that's kind of right. what happened to david he thought that he could drink and use like a normal alcoholic after four years of being sober. And he did. And unfortunately, eight months later, we were, you know, going to a funeral and, and burying mm. him. But there's a, there's a quote in here because he was a gold gloves boxing champion in New England that I uh, always reckon, uh, realized that he is like Muhammad Ali and, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. So every time I yeah. see a white butterfly and I saw it all day yesterday. Um, uh, that's my brother flying around me. So yes, you are yeah. correct. They each have a different way of letting us know they're with us. But if it wasn't for my brother getting me in, I don't know that I'd be here to talk to you today. Right. Uh, I love that. I love that. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and the butterflies are his signal to you. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. Yes. That's beautiful. So this is me on the set of News Radio, a TV show that used to be on NBC for years with Phil Hartman and, and Dave Foley, Maura Tierney. But the point of this picture was not to promote the show, was to look at the hair on my head. Well, that <laughs> hair, on, hair on my head is actually a hair piece. And wow. One of Looks the pretty most, good. Thank you. Well, I ended up, when I ended up living on the streets in Fort Lauderdale, I answered an ad, the crazy story, it's in the book called Headline News. And it it's about how I thought that once my career started going forward, I, I got the gene that my dad and my grandfather had. I thought that I could not be successful without hair on my head. 
Now, mind mm. you, this is 30 years ago when bald wasn't the big thing and, 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 and fashion-y, right? So I thought, so here's the crazy part. Now, not now. This I have about uh, four years sober in this picture here. But up until I got sober, I used to have that hairpiece on thinking that that's what made me. Having hair on my head was what I needed to be. The be, I, I had, April, I had to look like you expected me to look. What I had no yeah. idea what that meant, right? I had no idea. All I knew it was it wasn't bald. And here's the crazy yeah. thing, and I share about this in my book. Underneath that hairpiece, which was put on by two clips in the front, one in the back, and a piece of uh, uh, tape in the front, I used to hide <laughs> my packets of cocaine underneath there when I was in oh, my wow. And I would be a, a I was an award-winning news reporter, won a couple awards from the associate. I'd I'd be doing stupid stuff in the in the bathroom at state houses and stuff. I was such an addict, and I'd be having all these packets under my head, and that was my storage spot for my uh for my for my cocaine as well. It was so crazy. And so what happened was this was one of the biggest defining moments of my life. That's why I sent you that picture. I did national TV for years and some of the home shopping networks. And one day I was 10 years sober. So 18 years I wore this, this hair piece, this fake hair. And I spent 45 minutes every day, April, that I was going on TV, trying to make sure the sides blended in so that it didn't look fake. And all of this stuff wasted so much of my life trying to be what I thought the world wanted me to be. Oh, rather Rob, than what let me just tell you that you're just spending the same amount of time that a woman spends. <laughs> it's just time spent differently. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so, that's a good one. I got to remember that one. But, but I wore it. For, so the defining moment in my life is, is 10 years sober. A gal, a, people had been making comments about me being the guy that always wore the baseball hat. Well, on my days off, I'd go to my recovery meetings and I'd always wear a baseball hat because I didn't want to spend 45 minutes fixing some fake piece of hair. I wanted to go enjoy the day. And um, and so one day my sponsor in my 12-step program was, hey, I was talking to somebody yesterday about you. And he said, oh, you mean Rob, the guy that always wears the baseball hats? Well, the guy wasn't being insulting or anything. That's how he recognized me. But it hit me, April. There was something that hit me that day that said, okay, the jig is up, right? It's about time for you to be all that God created you. And it's not about your dang hair and how much money you make and the car you drive. It's about you being comfortable with you mm. and realizing you're just perfect the way you are. You can get better, but right today, you, and, and so I literally had a gal come over my house. I was living right near Universal Studios. I had a friend come over. I go into the bathroom. She didn't know. And like you saw that picture and you didn't know either. I take the thing off and I come out and I put my hands around the side of my head like this. And she goes, oh, my God. I did. Anyways, Monday night, I went on national TV, technically with a full head of hair. Tuesday, I look like this. I walk into the studio. I stand in front uh, and my partner who was on before me says, ladies and gentlemen across America, in three minutes, you're about to see something you've never seen before. And he left and I walked in front of the camera and I just stood there, April. I didn't say a thing. And it felt like 20,000 pounds of weight had been lifted off my shoulder. It wow. was the night that I just became me and I mm. become comfortable in my own skin. Wow. 
And I can't even tell you how valuable that is because I know so many people that for whatever reason, they just don't feel good enough about them because they think they got to have this and that and keep up with the Joneses. But yeah. we all but we all have a very special purpose in life. And yours is different than mine and mine is different than someone else's. And I need to embrace my purpose. And my mm. purpose wasn't to continue to wear this fake hair on my head. And God bless people that do it. There's nothing against any of that. But for me, I was using that to define me as a man. Hair yeah. on my head was making me. No, it was my heart. And what am I giving back to the world? And what kind of good am I doing to help another person have a better life today? And how am I being the best raw? And you know what, April, the funniest thing was? I was on national TV for 15 years. The night I took the hair off my head was my biggest by far, the best-selling night I ever had in 15 years on TV, the night I just became Rob. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is such a powerful story. So going to be one of my favorite stories. You know, you, you top it because you address so many things. The wig was more than, than just a wig. It was also a little place where you could hide and stash the drugs, which was a very bad habit for you. And so, but it, when we talk about identity, right? You, that's, that's yeah. the depthness of this is it's not that uh, the way that we portray ourselves externally, you know, thinking that we have to be this by societal standards, what we think the world needs us to be is so yes. incredibly different than the light we were supposed to be in the world, right? Mm -hmm. We we are individual for a reason. We're supposed to be. If we were all the same, it would be a very boring, boring place. And I think that that is such a root to so much depression and so much anxiety because we assume that we're supposed to be living up to something that we're really not. So that's a beautiful story. I love it. Love it. Love that it's, story. It's one of my, I'm glad you liked it because that's one of my most powerful. I share that every time I speak at recovery meetings and stuff. And, and I share the fact that recovery has given me the ability to be comfortable in my own skin. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and I have, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but I, I have tons of stories of famous people in Hollywood that have put nooses around their necks that have yeah. off themselves and they have had everything you could possibly imagine. The big house right. on the hills, the multi-million dollar salaries, everything yeah. that a human being you would think want. But I had a guy come up to me who was the president. I won't tell you who, because, but he was the president of one of the biggest entities in Hollywood comes up to me at two years, 10 years sober. I had been asked to uh, lead a meeting in North Hollywood. After the meeting, this guy comes up to me and he goes, I want what you have young man. And I said, you want what I have. So this is 20 years ago. I said, I'm making a couple hundred bucks a week as a background actor. I got a little old used car. I got my little apartment over here. And I said, I said, you got all the money in the world, the big house in the hill, the multi-million dollar salary, all the power and prestige. And he looked at me and he said, but I've never had peace mm. and I would trade it all for peace. And he said, you know what happened? You know why I just took a chip for 30 days of sobriety today? He says, because I had 20 years of sobriety and I never did the work to be comfortable in me. I always thought that I was somebody because I had all the stuff and mm. I never got comfortable with me. So I drank after 20 years. I've been out for five years. And he said, literally, 
Just 30 days ago, I was on Mulholland Drive, which is a famous drive out here that you may have seen in movies and stuff. And he said, I went with my wife, put a gun in her purse, went up to my dope dealer, and I said to my wife, if I pull this gun out, hit the floor because I'm shooting this guy. Mm. He said, that's where I was 30 days ago with all wow. of my stuff. So anybody that thinks that stuff is going to fix them, if they don't fix themselves first and get comfortable with who they are as a human being, this is the kind of craziness that happens. So I got to get good with Rob. Taking that hair piece off was the greatest. It may sound like craziness to some people, but it was the greatest thing. April, I can't even tell you. It just felt like I was this balloon and all the air was being let out, but it was a good ear. Mm, and it was just yeah. me. It was just me. You and know, I, was, I think that there's something great about how profound that that little shift was. Sometimes that's all it is, right? Sometimes it's just taking off the wig in order to really step into who you're supposed to be. And, and so I like that it's just that little tweak because that had so much internal meaning for you that it made the, the life change that it needed to. So I'll bring in uh, one of the next. Well, there you go. That's me yeah. on the shopping network <laughs> with my uh, <laughs> with my hair. And so there you go. So there's two different uh, two different hair pieces. One was a little curled up there. And uh, that one there was when I was between two and four years sober, because that's how long that that particular shopping network was around for, for four years. And I started pretty close to the beginning. So there you go. That was another sample of me wearing the hairpiece and what it meant. And like I said, one night I'm on TV looking like that. The next night I'm looking like, now here's the funny part. <laughs> I got to tell this part. The funny part was, I, I went over to a barber shop. My friend said, why don't you shave it off? So we literally walked over to an old-fashioned barber shop right behind Universal Studios. And I said to the guy, I want to I wanna just shave the rest of it off. So he shaves it off. And so now, because I have a tan face and because the wig kept my head white, uh -huh. right? Not getting, so I have a white head and a tan face. So I called yeah. my friend Melissa, who unfortunately is in, in heaven now. But um, she goes, come over to my house. So she puts this tan bronzing lotion on my head yeah. and gives me it gives me the can. So I walk into the studio in Glendale, California, and, and I walk in and the whole phone bank is like, whoa. And I don't know if they were in shock or they thought I was somebody breaking in. Right. <laughs> so I'm on national TV looking like that one night and like this with bronze tansing solution over my head the next night. Um, oh and that's God. how it all started off for me. And uh, so Rob, I'm going to be uh, questioning everybody from, you know, back in the 90s, their hair. I'm going to be wondering <laughs> if that is actually their hair or a wig. There are many. Let me tell you what uh, my friend Tony worked on a show and, and uh, he wore a piece for a while. And he said the almost the entire male cast wore a hair piece. And after the end <laughs> of every uh, show, they would sit around. They'd all take their hair pieces off, smoke cigars in the studio. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's, that's amazing. I, I had no idea. So thank you for educating us in that. Okay. So this one here, this one makes me cry every time this, if you don't recognize that wonderful gentleman is Phil Hartman, uh, formerly of Saturday night live. And then he was the star of the show news radio. And I was mm -hmm. blessed to be one of the 
stand-ins and actors to work on that show for four years. And I had five years of sobriety at the time this picture was taken. And this was uh, right before our last show that Phil was on, not by design, but by the way life happened. And the show was called Sinking Ship. And what if news radio wow. was on was on the Titanic? So the wardrobe people, this is uh, clothing that was used on the movie, The Titanic. And Phil didn't like taking pictures, very humble man. But I said, Phil, we worked together for four years. I said, we look so good tonight. Let's take a picture. He said, yeah, we should do that. Literally two weeks later, I'm working at the shopping network, which was my full-time gig. This was my part-time gig. And, uh, and somebody can came and ran and said, hey, dude, your friend Phil, he's dead. It's on the news. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he used to fly planes over 13 miles to an island, Catalina Island. So I thought maybe he had a plane crash like John Denver did. Mm. And it was no, it was his wife went out. And the thing was, was that Phil had and I had had a, a really intimate discussion right before our last show. And he told me his challenges of dealing with his wife, who eventually killed him and all the money he spent on trying to help her with rehab mm. and all of this stuff. So. And it was so sad that he did everything possibly right to protect him, his children and everything. And yet his wife decided that she was going to make a horrific choice that night and, and take both of their lives. And uh, wow. it was really uh, a really challenging thing. And, and um, you know, I, I get tears every time I, I look at uh, that picture because I know what the conversation was that we had ahead of time. And, and so, you know, yeah. we affect so many people with our choices in life, whether they be, you know, dramatic things or, uh, you know, uh, substance abuse, whatever it may be, we're not just affecting ourselves. We're affecting all. And so now Phil's children, you know, don't have a mom and dad. They're being raised by, uh, I believe, either his wife's a sister or his brother, one of the two, they've got loving people to take care of them. But, you know, think about what those children had to go through as well, seeing their right. parents' story plastered all over national news for many weeks on end. And just, uh, so that was, that picture there was, uh, and you can see I'm still wearing the, uh, the hairpiece. It wasn't long after that. It was five years after that, that I finally got rid of that dang hairpiece. But I'm so blessed. I didn't know at the time when I said goodbye to him that night after the show, that it was actually going to be the last time that I would ever see him. Mm, yeah. And you're right. Very, very powerful. I'm glad that the the kiddos weren't involved in that. I mean, there's, there's one yes. blessing there, right? But you're, you're correct. Our conversations and how we, you know, how we are with people and, and the influence that we can be, can be uh, really dramatic. So thank yes. you for sharing yes. that story. Okay, so this blows me away. This gentleman, this was on in October of 2021. My dad had passed the year before. It was his time. It was a beautiful passing. But I had gotten stopped for drunk driving on November 28th, 1992. And now most people, you go into a recovery meeting and they go, you know, that rat son of a gun you know, cop that pulled me over and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I was the one that was driving like a madman. And I am so blessed that I did not kill anybody my last night of drinking. I was literally driving like the worst human being on planet Earth, how I did not hit anything. So all of a sudden, after drinking for like six hours that night, I was borrowed a friend's truck because I was homeless living in my friend's basement. Mm. I'm driving and 
I don't know who the gentleman is that pulled me over, but the cop that pulled me over that night, thank God he did because he not only saved my life, but probably other people's because I, I, how I didn't hit anybody. Anyways, now it's 30 years later. This was, uh, like I said, on October of 2021, I go back to honor my dad's one year passing and I get this thought in my head. Oh my God, I should try to find the police officer that stopped me that night because he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing his duty to serve and protect. And he protected the world from my idiocy that night and my mm. insane behavior. So I go down to the police station and I said, hey, can you help me find this guy? And they're like, well, you know, he retired 10 years ago. If he, it, Most normal cops retire after 20. We don't know if we can find who it was. If we can, it'll probably take us a few weeks. And I'm like, well, I'm leaving back to go to Los Angeles tomorrow at five o'clock. I'm like, well... You know, we'll do our best. Literally the next morning, April, 8 o'clock, I get a call from the police station. Hey, we found the guy. He lives wow. in Coventry. He lives in Coventry, and his name is Robert Bud Latham. His picture is in the book, too. And so I go, well, that's interesting because my name is Robert. Hmm. My dad was Captain Bud. Wow. And he's now living in my ex-hometown, and he got involved in real estate. So I found him on, on, on Facebook, and he was now working out of his house because after COVID, everybody closed down their offices and just worked out of their home. So I, I called a guy, and I say, hey, listen. I said, you know, I was going to try to surprise you. I said, but you stopped me 30 years ago, and uh, I would like to come and shake your hand if I could, and thank you for saving my, my life. Aww. And And then- and then I said, and I said, you're involved in real estate. And he, and he said, yes. I said, well, my, and my mom was the most prestigious real estate woman in my hometown for 30 years. She was, she was so famous wow. that she only put her first name on her signs and everybody knew who, 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 who Ginny was. Right. And so I said, well, you, did you know my mom, Ginny he goes, well, your mom helped me when I was just getting started to change some things to help make my career better. So Robert Bud Latham. So Robert, me, Bud, my dad, and he gets into real estate. And my mom, who had a different last name, unknowingly helps the guy that saved her son's life to have a much better real estate career. And now he's uh, doing quite well for himself. He invites me over to his house, which was two miles from where I was calling him from. And we had a wonderful conversation, April. And you can see that guy looks like he could be the starting tackle for any football team in the National Football League. And I'm only five foot nine. And after 20 minutes of talking to him, he looks at me and he has tears in his eyes. And he goes, you know, man, that was really cool that you did that and come over here and thank me. He goes, nobody ever does that. Everybody always wants to just beat us up and tell us how bad we are. And I said, well, Robert, just so you know, because you did your job that night and saved my life, I've been blessed to help hundreds upon hundreds of other people have better lives. And it all started with you doing your job that night. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you very much. You know, that is very, very close and near and dear to my heart as well, Rob, because I think I mentioned to you that I too was in law enforcement. I served and He's right. It is. It makes such a big difference when you have somebody come to you and say, thank you so much. What you did by doing your job was so meaningful and so impactful that. So, yes, I think that is so beautiful, very near and dear to my heart. 
And so I, I love that story as well. Gosh, you just have the best stories. My goodness. Uh, so let's, let's bring in this next photo. Cause this looks like a great one as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So that is me and dad at his very last father's day brunch about three months before he left us in 2021. And that man there, I gave you that picture because I, I have a story in the book where I had been missing for three weeks. I was I now went from my friend Steve's basement to my mother's basement. Now, mind you, April, this is after I owned my own home, had a flourishing broadcasting career. Now I'm all now all of a sudden the car is gone, the money's gone, the career's gone. Mm. But any little bit of money I could find anywhere, selling stuff, pawning stuff, it went right to cocaine. Yeah. I ended up getting a ride to the beach 40 miles from my mother's basement three weeks before Christmas, uh, way back when, many years ago. My dad, so concerned with me, one of his fishing buddies was a state uh, trooper. They had the state police looking for me. I did not know this. I was holed up for three weeks in a, in a guy's house that I met at a nightclub on the beach 40 miles from my mother's house. So the story is, and I don't even imagine the pain that my parents went through wondering where their, their son was, right? Until I got sober, I was like, God, you know, I was just like, leave me alone, people. Let me leave my, you know, let me live my life. I'm homeless. You guys don't have to worry about it. Just let me. Anyways, this guy throws me out of his house the day before Christmas. And I got to now get 40 miles back to my mother's. It was a freezing cold day before Christmas, December 24th. I got a little members only jacket, no gloves, no hat, no nothing. And I end up walking uh, 12 miles. I didn't know it at the time. I went back and measured a few years later, 12 miles to the freeway. When I got there, a tow truck driver happened to show up the second I got there and said, where's your car? And I said, oh, I don't have a car. He said, well, somebody called for a tow and I can't find them. And I noticed that he was his address on the side door was one exit past where I needed to get to my mother's. So I asked the guy for a ride. He agreed. So that saved me 20 miles. Then I still had seven miles to walk to my mother's house. I get there. I go to sleep in the basement. I come up the next day. My dad was divorced from my mom. My two brothers and sister, they were in their teens, early 20s. My mother's sitting there. I walk up from the freezing cold basement. My dad shows up, stands there and looks at me, says, son, I don't have a lot of money. Your mom doesn't have a lot of money, but we will do whatever it takes to get you the help you need to get your life back on track. And I look at my father, April, with all the courage that he could muster to do that. And I didn't have a job, lost everything under the sun. And I look right at my dad with my mom and my brothers and, two, and my sister looking at me. And I said, Thanks, Dad, but I don't have a problem. Mm. And I share about that in the book because, and I share that now because we're we're here at a time when so many people need help and so many people are becoming hooked on whatever it may be, fentanyl, whatever it may be, to try to ease the pain of what's happening in the world, not believing in themselves, whatever it might be. And I looked at my dad and he was trying to save my life. And I said, basically, screw you, dad. Get get out of my life. I, I'm good. I got nothing. I lost it all because I'm so brilliant. But I don't want your help. 
And I can only, I don't even try to imagine the pain that my family must have been in at that particular point in time. And, you know, I was able through sobriety eventually when he passed in 2021, October 9th, I was standing 12 inches from his head and I was there for the last two days of his life. And I got to watch him go and rest in peace, uh, that day. And it was one of the most incredible experiences that I, that I'd ever had. And, you know, my dad, I'm getting teary eyed again. My dad drops dimes around me all the time. And mm. uh, I always know it's him. And, um, and so you're, you're correct in the fact that uh, they're alive. And, and if I can share this really quick, my, my girlfriend had never been to Alaska. And so three weeks after my dad died, I delivered the eulogy. Talk about a powerful story. I said, dad, I want to know that just because you're not in front of me to hug me and me to call every week, that you're still with me. And I said, I need something so specific that I cannot miss that you're here with me. So my girlfriend had never been to Alaska. I take her up to uh, Juneau three weeks afterwards and she's Catholic. So I took her to the shrine of St. Therese and we, I'd been there hundreds of times just because it's a great spiritual walk along the ocean. Anyways, I bring her there and we start walking and there's a rock with a plaque in it. April, I've walked by that thing hundreds of times. I, I never saw it once. All of a sudden I jump back and I go, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. My girlfriend's like, what? I said, I had just asked my dad to be so specific that he was still watching over me that I could not miss. She said, yeah, and what's the deal? I said, what does it say on that plaque? It says, John something from the Bible, John 11 or something. The Good Shepherd, how I laid my life down for my flock. She said, well, what's so significant about that? I said, that's the exact scripture I just read at my dad's eulogy three weeks ago. Wow. I said, what are the odds that the one piece of scripture I pick out of the Bible is sitting right there and I'd walk by it all kinds of times, except for the time that I had asked my dad to be so specific that I could not deny that he was still watching me. That's so beautiful. You know, Rob, I love that you bring this up. The, absolutely. That, of course, that has so much meaning. You know exactly that that's it. And it's it's the dimes and the butterflies and being specific. I have heard that many times. I mean, there's documentaries on it of when we talk to loved ones that have passed on, but asking them to show us something specific, to show us that without a doubt in our minds and our hearts, that we will know that it is them saying, I'm here with you. And so those are really, really beautiful things. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm going to bring in this next photo because again, it looks like a, a pretty cool story to me. It Growing up theory. watching some of these, uh, these films and what comes to mind is Superman. Well, he is definitely Superman, and he is a uh, wonderful human being, truly as nice as he looks in that picture. So a few months ago, I was um, cast to do a, a part. Believe it or not, I got, I got cast to be a killer in a faith-based film. <laughs> <laughs> so um, some of my scenes, uh, my more significant scenes, were working with Dean, and he played a pastor at an AA meeting, and I was at an AA meeting uh, hunting down this other gentleman, Eddie McClintock, who had a, a wonderful show on, on the Sci-Fi Network and does a lot of these films now. And um, so I got to, got to talk with Dean um, 
you know, uh, for quite a while, actually. And I told them about my books I was writing and stuff and, and, and the films we were trying to create, faith-based films. So wonderful human being. And, and um, he's one of the, the good guys of Hollywood, who truly is uh, my experience with him is he's as sweet as his smile is right there. So um, mm. kudos to him for being a wonderful gentleman and being there to, uh, so that was a cool experience I had just a few months ago. And um, I met with the director. One of the cool things is, is that I have faith-based films being written uh, that are, some of them are already written and others are being written inspired by my books. I now have four books out. We're talking about one today, which is very important uh, for this time in our, in our, you know, in our place today. But um, so that movie was actually called A Life of Purpose, the one where you saw me with Dean. And and so I ended up a couple of weeks ago, I met with the director of that film, who's doing a lot of faith-based film. She actually met with me for three hours in Hollywood. And she loves my books. And we're looking at how many faith-based films. Now think about this. I didn't even think I could write a word to a book. Now I got four books and now they're making, they want to make them into faith-based films to, to, to put more good. And it's like, so we never know. And none of them are made yet, but there's a lot of really good stuff that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. And a direct, a director gave me three hours of time. That's awesome. That, that's We're in the like, right place at know, the right time. If, if you can get two minutes of time from a director, you're you're having a great day. She spent three hours and said, the only reason I'm leaving is because I got a class. I do my own writing classes. Otherwise, I'd stay and talk. So she's reading all of my books now. And anyways, but Dean, yes, was wonderful. And I've had uh, sobriety has brought me a lot of wonderful experiences. But as you know, April, I can't just sit in the closet. Oh, so there you go. So that's Eddie. <laughs> this is a, so I was... Uh, this the makeup artist was just spectacular. She went on and That's on. Awesome. We had we had he, but so I just Eddie. So this is a this is a this is a great thing. So I'm there beating the guy up. You can see the pipe, and of course that's all makeup and stuff. But but that's um that's Eddie. That was my part. I was supposed to beat him up and bloody him up and torture him and everything else uh, as part of my thing, and it was uh, it was a fun thing. So the funny part was. The director pulls me outside before the scene and she goes, now, Rob, I want you to talk really low. And then Eddie's his his role was I was controlling him and I had given him the name of Johnny. And he says, so he's supposed to scream, Johnny. And I'm like, if you want to use the bathroom, what do you say? Johnny. You know, And he's supposed to scream. But he looks at me. You know, he's the star. Right. So I follow the star. He goes, OK, I'm just going to do this. And when I do this, you yank my hair back. And you pull it, and, and we're going to use real tape on my mouth and not that fake Hollywood tape so we can really hear the sound rip off and everything. <laughs> so I'm going along with him. I'm great at improv, right? And I'm like, okay, well, this is not what the director told me. She told, And I didn't say that to him. I just said, I'll go, I'll go with it. He's the star, right? And so he goes, instead of screaming, Johnny, he goes, Johnny. Well, I can't just go, okay, Johnny. No. So I got to. I get big and loud and I grab his hair and I yank it back and I was gentle with it, but it looked like I wasn't. And then I'm, I'm screaming in his face and stuff. And when I got done with the scene, April, the, the camera, the assistant camera gal that does the, the slate, she comes walking over. She goes, oh, my God, look at me. I got tears in your eyes. I felt so bad that you were beating the heck out of Eddie and you were causing him so much pain. 
and two of the directors come walking in and they go, oh my God, we were out at the, at the, at the, uh, you know, at the monitor, we got tears in our eyes. We're like, oh my God, Rob, stop hurting him. And I'm like, well, I guess I did a pretty good job of acting then, didn't I? If I had three of the main people that were watching us in tears and wow. that, that wasn't the case. So I can't wait to see, see how it comes out. But, but the point of that is just that, you know, if we take care of ourselves, if we get sober, but we have to do the work. Right. As you know, whether it's whatever you want to be the best law enforcement person, you got to go to the target range and you got to learn how to, you know, make sure you're a good shot. You got to make sure you know how to adapt to scenes uh, that are going to pop up, you know, horrific scenes, whatever they may be, you and your partner, all this stuff. But it takes training. And so the same thing in sobriety. I have to work my steps. I have to try mm. to be the best Rob that I can be today. Right. I can't do anything. I'm not asked to save the world. You're not. Nobody is. Right. We, we're, we're not anybody up in heaven that has this magical power. Yeah. But I can make the world around me every day in my little hula hoop, as I say, the best that I can make it. I love right? that you bring that up. Yes, absolutely. I think that I love to say that we we don't rise to the level of our courage. We fall to the level of our training. And it's the same mm -hmm. thing with anything in life. You know, if we want to really to to be our best selves, it's continuous. There's no end all. It is a continuous journey. Absolutely. And so I, I love that you bring that up. <laughs> Who's this well, lovely lady? That is the director who spent three hours with me a couple <laughs> weeks ago, Natalie. She is just, uh, as I wrote in one of the books I signed for her, she is just one of the kindest and most generous human beings I've ever met. And that is Eddie, the guy that you just saw all bloodied and battered uh, the next day when we were doing our next scene before I banged him over the head with a uh, flashlight and threw him into the trunk of my car and <laughs> ran off. <laughs> but um yeah that's now Rob the psycho killer yeah that i'm telling you it was, <laughs> who would ever who would ever know but that's what I, I got cast as and and so it worked out well and and now i have wonderful friendships with people and natalie was gracious enough to spend three hours with me uh, a Beautiful. couple weeks ago, and she is reading my books, and we're looking at how we might be able to work together and put together a series of goodness to share out into the world. But, um, you know, I'm but so it's excited because, for that. Yeah, me too. And, you know, and it's like, you know, like you said, I don't know where it's going to take me. And I saw, you know, it's something by Mark Wahlberg. He had put something on Facebook. He said, you know, God's not testing your budget, He's testing your faith. Mm -hmm. Right. So at this point in time, I don't know where the money's coming from, mm -hmm. but I do know that I have a world class director that's interested in directing them. I have world class actors that wow. have read the scripts and they've already said, yes, we want in. As soon as you get money, we're ready to go. And yeah. so all, all it's coming together in weird ways. It's kind of like your podcast. You don't know. Do I buy the microphone first or, I, or do I get an Internet website first or do I do, you know, yeah. it, it'll come together as long as I take the first step. Right. I love that. God's not testing your finances or your money. He's testing your faith. I had to yes. sit with that for a minute, you know, and really, and really let that sink in because I think that that is really beautiful when you allow that thought to take place and to take hold. It's really an incredible statement. So thank you, Mark Wahlberg. I appreciate that. And so let's, this is a really cool uh, photo. I like this photo. This is some of your adventures. Look at that. I mean, just stunning. 
So at 20 years sober, my life changed when my marriage uh, turned in a whole different direction. And um, I was left with basically nothing. And after a year of uh, going through the depression of uh, a 10 year, a 10 year relationship, raising children and stuff, I saw an ad on one of the Hollywood websites looking for a, uh, a jewelry salesman in Juneau, Alaska for the summer. And it came with a house to stay in and salary, plane trip, uh, everything paid for. And uh, my family is like, why don't you go up there? Well, I said, all right, well, I think I think my life's over. I'm going to Alaska from sunny Southern California. And they're like, are you kidding me? And April, I got off the plane. I walked on the sidewalk. I got eagles flying over my head. The Mendenhall Glacier's mm. right in front of me. Freshest air you could ever feel in your in the, your lifetime. Just a minute. Anyways, I start making friends. One of them is my friend, Matt, who worked for another one, law enforcement. He was in the Air Force, worked at the White House for many years. Um, and then was a top special agent out in uh, Alaska for some stuff. And he's an explorer. Calls me one February morning and he says, Rob, would you like to walk under the ice caves under the Mendenhall Glacier? And I'm like, what? He goes, I'm leaving in five minutes. I'm like, are you kidding? Thank God I did. So this is in this is underneath the Mendenhall Glacier. Oh, stunning. And that's the third cave we went in. Those caves no longer exist. The glacier is really rapidly <laughs> falling to pieces now. Um, and these don't. So I, it, two weeks later, after we got out of there, those caves collapsed. So thank God wow. it wasn't the day that we were in there. Yeah. These are the incredible experiences. And, and you know what? It cost me zero to do this. It's, well, you it's, really, you followed wherever you were led. I think that is the the key thing. Yes. You you told me a little bit before we went on, the uh, would, before we started this, that there, there was so much that just guided you. It was like these doors opened and you followed, you walked right in. And I think that's just incredible. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I got to um, have breakfast with Matt at uh, a restaurant in Juneau, and I got to tell him because my next book following this one that I just recently published, the second in the Cruising Toward Heaven, the first chapter is all about that day when Matt called me and when we went in. And I told him, I said, you have no idea what that meant to me. I said, Matt, because 10 months earlier, I had just gotten to Juneau. And so there, so the cruising toward heaven with the icebergs, that's another adventure I was on. So the first chapter of that cruising toward heaven one with the icebergs is a story about what I just told you, Matt, Matt and I. And um, so anyways, but uh, I, I told Matt at breakfast, Matt, you have no idea what you meant to me the day you asked me, because it was shortly before that I had lost everything in my marriage. And I was, you know, wondering what's going to happen with my life. And then people like you start showing up and you've got me flying in helicopters and walking on glaciers and zip lining and doing all <laughs> these things. And April, it didn't cost me a dime. Yeah, you know, that's really I'm, living too. those well, experiences. I'm a, very, well, I'm a very faithful guy. And God said to me, Rob, I didn't ask you how much money you had. I asked you how much trust you had in me. Ooh, and you're God. doing all of these things. You're doing all of these things are as my gift because you keep sharing with people all the cool things that I keep giving you. So I don't want you to bore people to death and go on April's show again in a few months later and have the same stories to tell. I got to give you some more stories to tell. And yeah. that's what he, he does. And he you puts know, these people. Yeah, it's 
it's it's opening up its surrender. And I tell you what, Rob, that surrendering has been one of the most challenging things for me, as I, I would assume for many, many people. But when we just allow and surrender to and open up to the the possibilities or and not have the expectations of anything. And we just live yeah. our lives in that and continue to walk through those doors that open up. It's it's really a beautiful thing. I brought in your books because this is this is the creation from that. These this is the the everything that you have gone into. These are the stories of what you have so far as you continue to write and do more. Yes, and the and the fifth. Uh, the third book, which will be my fifth book in the Cruising Toward Heaven series, halfway done as well. And that will be written into a uh, faith-based film script. The one with the icebergs, uh, that was me out on one of the adventures that I was given uh, in uh, Wrangell, Alaska, a small little island on the Stikine River, um, going to one of the big glaciers there. And that iceberg had broken off of one mm. of the glaciers that we were going to visit and I was in. And so those pictures that you see on the front cover of the Cruising Toward Heaven, another thing, April, I took those pictures. I'm not a professional photographer, but here's the thing. My grandfather, Homer, was a multi-award winning nature photographer, won all kinds of stuff from the Audubon Society. I used to blow him off when he was when I was a kid. I'd be like, mom, I don't want to go sit for hours watching Homer take pictures of birds and stuff. Once I got to Alaska, my first week in Alaska, when I got on the cruise ship, I eventually ended up working on a small cruise ship that traveled around to the intimate parts of Alaska. My first cruise, we end up in a place called Petersburg, and the boat right next to us was called Puffin, like the Puffin Birds. Well, my grandfather's license plate on his van was Puffin. And he was noted as one of the most famous puffin bird photographers in America. And there's my grandfather letting me know I'm with you, even though you didn't want to be with me when I, I'm right with you and I, and I can't wait for you to enjoy these experiences. And, and so the next week we go back to the same island on a different cruise and the boat Westerly is parked, docked right where the puffin was. And Westerly, Rhode Island was where my grandfather passed on. And it was like, so we get these messages and, and I realized that my grandfather was my biggest fan in getting pictures. And I'm just an amateur photographer. I hit the click, you know, automatic focus. But a pastor who I met one day in my life told me, he said, you know, you have really amazing pictures. You should start using your own pictures on the front covers and in your books. It'll open up a whole new world for you. So the pictures you see on the Cruising Toward Heaven series are all going to be pictures that I've taken. And most of the ones in the book are either going to be from friends like Matt uh, or my uh, girlfriend took a really cool one that's in uh, the latest book. But most of them are all going to be my pictures um, and Beautiful. honoring my grandfather with each one of those pictures. That that is incredible, and and I love the the subtitle here: navigating from rough seas to miraculous adventures. And throughout the story, Rob, you've mentioned uh, this this essence of 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 driving a ship, right? And and yes, having yes. going through rough seas and all of these things, the navigation of that. And I think that that is really incredible. That this is a topic that really comes back into your life. You know, we are the uh, what what is that saying? Um, 
we, we, uh, I'm not going to say it right, but basically we, we navigate the ships ourselves or something, but I'm not saying it right. Living life uh, on self-will. Yeah. Living life on self-will. And it's really only when I got out of the captain's chair and let someone else drive the ship, I choose, I choose it to be God to drive it. And once I got out of the way and just let him take over, all of a sudden I had these miraculous. So the rough seas were yeah. my, my out alcohol and cocaine abuse, my self-will yep. run riot, wearing the hairpiece, thinking I got to look like something special. And all I ever had to do was be me. And God said, okay, now that you trust in me here, I'm going to show you really how glorious I am. Right, exactly. And it brings us to show up the way that we do. And yes. because of that, it brings in, this is, this is where it's at. This is the testimonies of of what we get from that. This blew me away, April. I got a text message from a, a longtime friend, read, didn't, didn't even know. That's why I said, when you do a podcast, when you do a, write a book, you have nobody who's idea, no idea who's listening to you, who's watching the podcast, who you're touching, who you're not, who's going to buy a book. You, you just got to do the work and, and just leave it up to the universe, right? And so I, I didn't have any clue that this friend of mine, for like 40-year friend, bought a copy of my book and read it. And this is what I got. And he's not an alcoholic. Rob, I just finished cruising toward heaven. What a story that book is going to save someone's life. So shame on me if I didn't write this book. And I don't yeah. know who this book will touch. I do know mm -hmm. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of uh, phone calls from people who have had amazing experiences after listening or reading the book and then taking action because they were touched by stories that I shared. But I don't know. It could save somebody's life in, in you know, China, Egypt, somewhere around the world that I may never know. Yeah. But if I know one thing. I won't save anybody's life or have a chance of even helping somebody have a better life if I don't believe in myself enough to just start right now. This one that you're looking at, I got this one only about a month ago. Somebody uh, started reading the book. And they told me, they call me up and said, you have no idea. I go back and I read it on a constant level because people will be fooled by the title. They'll think it's, you know, all about God or something. No, it's this book, Cruising Toward Heaven, the one we are focusing on today, is all about me losing my broadcasting career, ending up homeless because of my addictions, and then going into recovery and all of the, a lot of the important lessons that I learned along the way, like gratitude, all of these things and things that I didn't. I mean, I shared a car. I shared a story of a, of a car in this book, April, that when I was homeless, I finally got six months sober. And I, I used to have a, a Jaguar. So I was somebody at one point, right, when I had my big career and I had a house. And I sold that and all the $35,000 profit I made 30 years ago went right up my nose. So that was gone. Mm -hmm. My Jaguar was gone. It got taken away from me. And I had nothing. I'm six months sober. And my dad says, you want to go out to Hollywood? I know that. I have my old Chevy Chevette. And this car, April, the paint was falling off. He used it for his welding uh, stuff. He was a big, big welder on big bridges and things like that. And so it was greasy seats. The paint was falling off. No air conditioning. Roll-up windows. A diesel engine. It used to smoke. It was some experiment the GM did. And it was smoking all over the place. <laughs> And, he, and yeah. he goes, son, you can have this for free and use it to start your life over. And I look at him and I go, dad, seriously, you, mm. you expect me 
a man with fake hair, six months sober and homeless to ride around in a car of that magnitude? What are people going to think about me? That's where I was. That's tough to go from, you know, this life of luxury to, I mean, that is tough, you know, when you've experienced such. It makes it so much easier, right? When you come from nothing and go into something, but when, but when you've had those drastic extremes, like we said, we're going on a roller coaster ride here. Yeah. But like to imagine I'm, I'm used to living in luxury in my Jaguar and now you're giving me this, this thing, how could I possibly be seen in public? It's humiliating. Right. And that, that is, that is a humble, humble experience. And I think, I think it's a beautiful one to be able look at how you're showing in the world now, Rob. Well, one of the, um, and thank you. And, and, you know, so the funny thing was, is I drive it, I finally accept it because my old girlfriend, thank God for her. And she told me what an idiot I was for, for not appreciating the gifts that my, so think about it. I've shared about my dad had the courage to walk in and, and offer me to get me into rehab to save my life. And I told him basically, you know, screw off, you know, take a hike, pal. Then he gives me a, a car for free because I didn't have money to buy a car when I had six months sober so that I could go live my dream in Hollywood. And one more time, Rob's like, dad, <laughs> screw you, you know? And, and, and then thank God I woke up to reality as time went on in April. The funny thing was I drive it out to LA. I'm driving it for two years. I'm like covering my eyes so nobody can see me every time I get in the thing, because everybody else is, you know, doing kind of well out here in Hollywood and Rob's got this clunker. All of a sudden one day, it dies. I get to the top of an exit ramp out here in LA, right at the red light, it just dies. In April, my whole life changed. Now I went from, oh my God, this car that I moaned and groaned about every day for the last two years, how could I be seen in this thing? The paint's falling off, The no, no air conditioning, I'm sweating, to, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have no car. Oh, <laughs> this is crazy. Now it was like a Bentley to me. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got no money to buy a car. My car just died. Now what am I going to do? And it's like, so in the book, I write a story about where if that Chevette was still standing in front of me now, I would go up to the windshield and I would give it a big hug and tell it how much I loved it. And here's a very here's a prominent story that came from this. A good friend of mine, a fellow author down in Miami, she read this whole book in, in one day. It's 300 pages. But she and I write as I'm talking now. So it's really easy reading. But she read it one day. I didn't know she had gotten a copy. She read it, calls me up and says, Rob, I got to thank you. I'm in tears. She said that story about your dad, Chevette. She goes, my dad, when I was in the middle of my addiction years ago, offered me his old Lincoln Continental. And I did the same thing. I told my dad, screw off, basically. I don't need this piece of junk car. Don't you know who I am? So my dad went and <laughs> sold his brand new Lincoln Continental and took back the car that he was trying to give me. And he drove that for the next 10 years. And so I realized how ungrateful I'd been when I read that book. And I should have called my dad 30 years ago, she said. But immediately upon reading your book, I called my dad and made an amends to him that I should have made 30 years ago. And so Aww. these are some of the things that are happening that are yeah. rebuilding and, and rekindling relationships and, and these really cool, miraculous things that are happening through the reading of this book. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, 
I think that's incredible. It definitely rehashes memories and it's all about perspective, right? In the moment, <laughs> our perception and, and being grateful is so key, right? We hear that all the time about how being grateful is, is one of the, the key players in living a, a much better life, right? Having that perspective and being able to be grateful for all of the little things and having that as your daily practice. I mean, so many people talk about that and this is a great example of that. So Rob, it has been amazing having you on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thank you so much for all of your stories. You definitely have brought so much flavor to this session here today. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, April. I always have, uh, appreciate the opportunity to share something about goodness. I just want to share with the audience as we leave here that you are already special, right? And if I have time to share one very, th this will blow you away, okay? This will leave the audience knowing that you are something special. Know that both April and I started our journeys, podcast writing, whatever, thinking we probably couldn't do it. Why are we being asked? You already have in you exactly what you need to be the best you that you can be today. And I'll share this. I've never shared it with anybody else since. And it just happened a few months ago. I uh, had some PSA levels going up on me uh, on blood tests. So I go to the urologist. We do a biopsy. <laughs> Find out I have prostate cancer. So I'm dealing with that now, which is uh, we're dealing in it in a very nice way. But the point is, I go over to the urologist the day I was getting my results. And I'm sitting in the waiting room office. And there's a young gal on the phone yakking away to her mother. And she says, Mom, there's no way I'm staying at Cry Help for six months. And she just kept telling her mother this. Well, Cry Help is the largest rehab facility for drugs and alcohol in North Hollywood. So I know this place, right? So I hear this and she's sitting with a guy and out of the blue April, I don't know, you call it the Holy Spirit, the universe, whatever, something grabbed a hold of my body. And I share this because we never know, even though our position may not be good, we're being still have the ability to help another human being have a better life. And that's why the power of this. So I look at the girl in this waiting room, a doctor's waiting room with like 20 other people. And all of a sudden I point my finger and I just said, you stay six months. I don't know where that came from. Wow. The guy looks at me, the whole waiting room looks at me and he shares with me and he goes, well, the truth of the matter is, sir, he goes, I myself just got out of federal prison two weeks ago in Northern California. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got an axe murderer. I'm yelling at his girlfriend and, and I'm going to get killed right here. And he said and, and he, we started talking. And I said, listen, here's my card. I always have cards in my back pocket to give somebody because I never know. And, and he says, you know, she's afraid of losing her job. She's been there for five years. So she goes into rehab. She, I said, well, with all due respect, I have 30 years of sobriety. And I can tell you this, there's a lot of jobs on Craigslist and in the LA Times that she could probably find. But I think once they put you in a box and start throwing dirt on top, I don't think you get a second chance. And I said, so she's either Good losing point. her she's either losing her job or her life. One of the two is going. Yeah. So she can make a choice. I would choose the job and get healthy. All of a sudden, she looks at me, April, and she says, you know, sir, I was already in that place for two days and they threw me out. And April, one more time, I don't know what happened. I'd look at her and I just go, 
that's because you got a lousy attitude. And I was like, oh, my God, what what, what is taking over me here? Right? And the whole waiting room's looking at me. Okay, so I asked her her name. I gave the guy my number. Her name was Katie. I go in to get my results. They tell me I got cancer. I didn't know beforehand I, whether or not I had it. So I come out with this bad news for myself. But again, I realized that we always get put in a position to help another human being, no matter how bad we think our life might be or not be. So I walk yeah. out. Now the guy's the guy is gone. She's there by herself. And all of a sudden, she's looking like a puppy dog now. Total change of attitude. She's sitting there. And I said, Katie, I said, you got to do me one thing. She said, what's that? I said, before you go to bed tonight, I don't care if it's five minutes, five hours, if you got to cry every tear out of your eyes, you cannot go to bed until you look yourself in the eyes in the mirror and say, I love you, Katie. You're an amazing, special child of God, and you're loved as much as anyone that he loves on this planet. And until you can look yourself in the eyes and tell yourself you love yourself, you're going to cheat yourself out of all the goodness of life. And you're never going to stay sober. I said, will you do that for me? And she said, yes, sir, I will. And I took a step out the door and I turned and I said to her, I said, Katie, you know what? I'll make you a deal. I said, whether I'm in Alaska, California, wherever I am, and you get to do what you do, right? You do what you need to do to stay sober. And two weeks before you get a year sober, I said, you call me and I will drop everything I'm doing on this planet, no matter what I'm doing, and I will show up and I will celebrate and hand you your first year birthday cake for your first year of sobriety. No. I said, we got a deal? She said, yes, we do, sir. And I took another step out the door and it was just about closing on my face. And I turned and I looked at her and I said, Katie, we never know when God's going to send us an angel. And that's how I left that. And so I share that story to end this show because even though someone in the audience may be thinking, well, my life is this and I don't have the job I want or I don't have the money I want or I don't have the person in my life. Whatever it is, we can make a thousand excuses why we can't be our best today, but really we have none because every one of us has an amazing heart and every one of us can be kind to another human being today and make their life better by simply saying, hi, how are you? And so I pray that your audience, everybody watching us now will realize how amazingly special they are And we'll just simply throw away the excuses and just go put a smile on three other people's faces today and enjoy their day and gloriousness and be grateful for what we have and don't have. Mm. Rob Ekno, everyone, round of applause, truly. Thank you so much for sharing that and your vulnerability in that. I appreciate more than you know for you sharing that story with us on the Wellness Driven Life Show. That's incredible. I want to make sure everyone knows where to find you, where to find your books. All of you listening in, it's www.robekno.com. It's also always in the description below. So be sure to find that. And if you have any comments or insights or wisdom or want to share what you loved about this show and about Rob's stories, please do so in the comment section below. We're always ready to respond to you, to get back with you. And we want to hear from you. 
So Rob, again, thank you so much for blessing us today and being on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Your stories have just rocked the world to some people. I know they have. They're awesome, awesome stories. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for healing. <laughs> excuse me, healing me. I, I have tears in my eyes talking about some of the stories that we've shared today too. So I'm going to go have a, a blessed day and, and, and really embrace the gifts that I've been giving and the people that have been in my life. And thank you. And I hope you have an amazingly blessed day. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for all of you tuning in. Without you, we wouldn't be possible. So goodbye for now. And we will see you next time.